welcome back to the spookiest podcast this side of the Appalachians. I'm Sam. And I'm MK. And we are back for our second episode. So before we get into it, we just have a few little housekeeping items. First off, we are now on Spotify. Yay! And just a little heads up, uh, no premium Spotify subscription is needed to listen to our podcast or any podcast you want for that matter. It's totally free to create a Spotify account, so get on it and listen to us on there. Also, you can follow East Coast Haunts on Spotify and get notified every time we post a new episode, which might be helpful in our first few weeks as we're still trying to figure out what release schedule is best. So now we're available on eight different platforms. We've got Spotify, Anchor, which is listed in our website under the Listen Now button, Podbean, RSS.com, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. So you can find us on any of those platforms. Second, we just want to say thank you so much to our new Instagram followers and our Spotify followers. We are so psyched to have you guys. Honestly, we just had so much fun recording the first episode and researching the Farnsworth Inn, and we cannot wait to get into this week's topic. So if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or you just want to share some creepy stories with us, hit us up in our Instagram DMs, on our website contact form, or through our email, which is east.coast.haunts at gmail.com. And now, without further ado, Sam is going to tell us about the history of one of the freakiest places from my home state, and the home of one of my greatest childhood fears, the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. So, let's start at the very beginning. We're going to go way back. The Pine Barrens were formed anywhere from 1.8 million years ago to 65 million years ago. That's a big range. Yeah, a really big range, right? Uh, But they do account for 22% of New Jersey's land area. Okay. So the New Jersey Pine Barrens stretch over more than seven counties in the state, And they're also sometimes referred to as the Pinelands, or simply the Pine. The Pinelands are bigger than Yosemite and the Grand Canyon National Park, just to give you an idea of its size. That's wild. Yeah. I had no idea it was that big. Yeah, I mean, New Jersey's a pretty big state, and if you think about how basically a quarter of it is covered by the Pine Barrens, it's kind of hard to even imagine how vast this forest is. I don't even think of New Jersey as that big of a state, but that's crazy. So the Pine Barrens were given their name because of the area's sandy, nutrient-poor soil, which was inhospitable for European settlers' crops. But the area does support plenty of other plants, and of course, unsurprisingly, it also supports lots of pine trees, oak trees, and even some carnivorous plants. You know what I'm going to say here. Suddenly <laughs> Seymour, <laughs> little shop, little shop of horrors, bop, shoop, bop. So, if you're ever going on a hike in the Pine Barrens, watch out for those Venus flytraps. You those know Audrey twos. So, the Pine Barrens are largely undisturbed, which is actually pretty notable considering how close they are to Philly and New York and, like, the Parkway and Expressway. But the reason that they're still undisturbed is because Congress designated the Pine Barrens as the United States' first national reserve back in 1978. Here's things they don't teach you in history class in New Jersey. Yeah, right? I'm like, this is a, this is a pretty big, <laughs> this is important part of your history. history. Jinx. So you can't just decide that you're going to build like a shopping mall or something in the middle of the Pine Barrens. But that's not to say that people don't have houses in the Pine Barrens and live there. In fact, the first inhabitants of the Pine came around 10,000 years ago, and they were the ancestors of the Lenape people. 
The Lenape are an indigenous people of the northern woodlands who live in the United States and Canada, for those who didn't know. So fast forward to the 17th century and, you guessed it, the European settlers, more specifically the Swedes and the Dutch, they come on in and they make themselves at home, as they so often did. Colonizers. Yes. So the Swedes and the Dutch come on in, and at first they really don't find the Pine Barrens very hospitable or attractive to settle in because that soil was so poor and it made agriculture really, really hard, if not impossible. But soon, they discover that there are other helpful materials hiding within the Pine Barrens, such as charcoal. They start to use the sand to make glass. Ooh. Yeah. And a crafty. Yes, I know. A little, maybe they have a little Etsy shop. And apparently, also, cranberry farming was perfect for this environment, which I thought was pretty interesting. And side note, one thing I want to do before I die that is on my bucket list is wade through one of those cranberry bogs like they have in the Ocean Spray commercials. Oh my god. I know! I want to do that so bad. So maybe it so fun. We may or may not have to take a trip to the Pine Barrens and wade through the cranberry bog. Do they have them there, like, still? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but we, we must find a way. I just thought that was so interesting. I really want to do that. Yeah, right? Okay. So... The Pine Barrens back in the day were often likened to the Wild West because there were outlaws running around. There was not really any set rules. Um, Like, for example, I came across this one story that was very interesting. There was this guy named John Bacon, and he was a loyalist gorilla, as in gorilla, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. I I just want to clarify, like, not, he wasn't, like, a loyalist gorilla, like an ape. I just wanted to make that clarification. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So this loyalist guerrilla, John Bacon, massacred 19 men of the Continental Army um, back during the Revolutionary War. Ooh. And I know, so he killed them as they were sleeping. And then shortly thereafter, he was captured in the Pine Barrens in what is now considered the last battle of the Revolutionary War. See, again, these are things that I just didn't learn in history class. You would think that they might do like a little segment on New Jersey history if you go to New Jersey schools your entire life. Well, yeah, and also, if it was truly the last battle of the Revolutionary War... Don't you think it would have been a bigger deal? Also, I thought the Battle of Yorktown was... Yeah. The world turned upside down. Delete that, though. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, anyway, just a fun little interesting history tidbit for you. So there also used to be plenty of rural families that lived in the Pine Barrens. Uh, one of the most well-known is probably the Kalakak family, who were the... That's sub- a fun last name. Yeah, Kalakak, right? It's, it's fun to say. Kalakak. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. Um, but the Kalakak family were the subject of a scientist named Henry Herbert Goddard, another fun name, <laughs> um, back in 1912. When I call him a scientist, I'm using the term fairly lightly, because I don't know if there were any qualifications to like become a scientist back then. I feel That's like you a could really just good point. I feel like you could just say like I'm a scientist and people would be like, okay, experimenting in your garage and yeah. call it science. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what his credentials were, but Henry Herbert Goddard decided to study the family, and his goal was to prove that feeble-mindedness, which he defined as the cause of undesirable traits, uh, were genetic traits that could be bred out of people. That's interesting. Yes, and it was going to get very problematic. Oh, boy. So his research kind of, to me, seemed like he was just stalking the family over a 
couple of years and then deciding if he thought they exhibited feeble-minded traits or not. He honestly just seemed like he wanted to hear himself talk and just needed something to do. Why didn't he just start a podcast? Right? I know, that's a healthier outlet. (laughs) Instead of stalking this poor family. So in his study, which he did creatively call a study in the heredity of feeble-mindedness. Creative. Mm -hmm. He painted the family as uneducated, backwards, uncivilized, evil, intellectually disabled, etc. And, yeah. So scientists and historians now agree that his research was definitely very biased. Shocking. Mm -hmm. And as if it could not get worse, in 1914, Karl Wilkner, who was a German Nazi, translated the Kallikak family study into German and praised the study, saying that it had inspired the passage of laws that provided involuntary sterilization of quote-unquote feeble-minded persons in Germany during the Nazi regime. That's horrible. Yeah, so Goddard is not a good guy, and all of his studies were pretty much later used as a way to say, hey, this is a way not to conduct science. And the Kalakak family is often used as a case of how biases and prejudice can sometimes wrongly influence science. I mean, that's something that we're still seeing today, though, too. I know, and it's just really sad because, like, these people probably thought they were, like, helping the betterment of humanity when the guy that was studying them was just this, like, weird guy that was, like, just watching them and looking to use science as kind of, like, an umbrella to mask his personal beliefs. Exactly, yeah. Which so are clearly not good. Yeah, so that was just, uh, they're one of the more famous um, groups that lived in the Pine Barrens, so I thought that was worth mentioning. Another interesting tidbit for any Sopranos fans out there, the Pine Barrens is an episode in the series The Sopranos. It's actually the 11th episode in the show's third season, and it was the first of four episodes for the series directed by Steve Buscemi. (laughs) Is Steve Buscemi the guy who is in all those Adam Sandler movies? Steve Buscemi is, he plays, um, Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. No, but this is the guy from, right? <laughs> this is the guy from the Adam Sandler movie, I swear. So the episode originally aired in 2001, and it's widely regarded as one of the greatest episodes in the history of television. Wait, that's kind of crazy. I know, so it's, it's the Pine Barrens have had a huge cultural impact, and I feel like I'm not from New Jersey, but I really had not heard of them before this. I mean, it's always something that in New Jersey you grow up hearing about, especially because of one famous character that we're going to get into later, (laughs) which is really the reason that we're covering this place. (laughs) But I had no idea that The Sopranos had an episode about the Pine Barrens. Yeah. I'm assuming it's about the Pine Barrens. Yeah, and they're, like, in the Pine Barrens, like, someone, they think they kill someone, but then he's not actually dead. No. Yeah, so it's, it's a whole thing. So I thought that was really interesting. Another interesting story I found is that in the 60s, there was a policeman who set fires throughout the Pine Barrens. He set 69 fires, to be exact. And he called them all nice. I know. <laughs> and he called them, I was wondering if you were going to say that. He called them all in on his police radio. And after they figured out that it was he who lit the fires, he was obviously arrested. And he gave no explanation as to why he did it. So he called them all in himself? Yes, after lighting all of them. So I don't know what his goal was and he wouldn't say what his goal was. But I just thought it was kind of weird. What a weirdo. Yeah, so the Pine Barrens bring out the weird people, I guess. Well, 1965, that falls within an important date range of events 
in the Pine Barrens later on. Ooh, you're leaving me on a cliffhanger. I am. Well, I guess you'll have to tell me about that soon. But first, I have a couple more interesting history tidbits. So, allegedly, New Jersey's Barnegat Bay is one of the resting places of the notorious Captain Kidd's many treasures. And some people think that his treasure could be somewhere in the Pine Barrens. I'm not going to spoil anything else for you before we get into the second part of this podcast, but his treasure might not be the only thing left behind in the Pine Barrens. Ooh, spicy. What does that mean? So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's probably a good place. If it covers 22% of New Jersey, and as we'll talk about, it's, like, so thick with two seas. Like, there are so many trees, <laughs> so much bramble and bush. Like, that'd be a good place to hide some and treasure. And it borders right up along the coast. Oh, yeah. Because I was wondering, I was like, I know he's not just, like, walking down, like, Ocean City, New Jersey, boardwalk. And then before we get into the spookier side of the Pine Barrens, I do want to go over one final tragic occurrence that actually took place less than a year ago in the Pine Barrens. And that is the mysterious disappearance and death of a New Jersey couple named Gary and Lorraine Parker. Aww. So, yeah, I had never heard of this. Apparently, they went on their ATV often. They lived within the confines of the Pine Barrens, so I'm sure it was very helpful to have an ATV to get through the bramble and the bush and all that. But anyway, after they went missing, there were multiple searches that ensued, including foot searches. They sent out bloodhounds. They sent out ATVs. And they even had a drone search, and that drone search is eventually what led to the finding of Lorraine and Gary's bodies. I feel like I actually do remember hearing about this. Well, I was going to say, if either of us would have heard about it, it would be you, because you're more local than I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had, I had never heard about this, and now I'm like shocked familiar. by it. So, yeah, and it also wasn't long ago at all. No, less than a year. Lorraine and Gary were found about two weeks later in the densest area of the woods lying next to each other. Their bodies were injured from sharp vegetation in the underbrush, and the Stafford Police Captain James Vaughn said that it's unknown why the pair left the ATV, and it's also unknown how they ended up in that dense area. Vaughn said, quote, I don't think we're ever going to know. I mean, there wasn't an ATV crash per se, but why they got off and why they ended up in the thicket the way they did we're never going to know. Oh, I know. So it, it's definitely a huge mystery. And then Vaughn also said, quote, there were times I couldn't see six inches in front of my face. And there were times I had to crawl underneath things to get through that brush. Again, without the use of a drone, it was nearly impossible. You could have walked by them and not seen them unless you were directly looking. It was very thick, very dense. That's crazy. Because I've always thought of the Pine Barrens as like, a typical forest. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of it pictures like of a jungle. Yeah, the pictures look like a typical forest, but apparently in some areas, it's like, like he said, like you can't even walk. You have to wild. crawl through. Yeah. So to me, though, the craziest part is that the couple was apparently found only about 200 to 250 yards from their home and only about 70 yards from that ATV that they were believed to have driven into the woods. So then why did it take them two weeks to find the bodies? I am not sure. I mean, I'm assuming they had to have looked in that area before, because if their bodies were only found at the most 250 yards from their house, like, I'm sure they looked at that area before, so... And you would think that the bloodhounds at least would have sniffed it out. Yeah, right? And also, I mean, 250 yards is not that f- it's far It's two and a half football fields. That's not... That's not that far. So, I don't know. It's hard to wrap your head around, and unfortunately, they really don't have any answers as far as I can tell right now. 
or at least that they're releasing to the public. But the police do say that foul play is not thought to have been a factor in the couple's death. And I couldn't find any follow-up reports or autopsy details. And I don't want to speculate too much, but I just did think that it was worth mentioning. Absolutely. All that being said, we do hope that Gary and Lorraine Parker's loved ones are able to get closure in the near future. Absolutely. So now with all that history and background explained, you want to get into the haunts of the Pine Barrens? I sure do. Take it away. Thank you. So now before we work our way up to the big kahuna, the star, (laughs) the star, if you will, of the Pine Barrens, we're going to talk about some of the other spirits that are seen within the forest or sometimes on the outskirts. And we're going to start off with someone that Sam already mentioned, Captain Kidd. So Captain Kidd was born William Kidd in Scotland in 1645. He spent most of his life on the sea, and by 1690, he was an established sea captain in New York City. The name of his boat was Adventure Galley, but he would go on to commandeer several other vessels. He led a life of piracy, and he was eventually hanged on the charges of piracy and the murder of William Moore, who was his artillery operator. He is best known for his alleged buried treasure. (gasps) He makes a lot of appearances in pop culture and English literature. Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote about him in his detective story, The Gold Bug. And there's a song called The Ballad of Captain Kidd. There's even some video games um, based around his life. So, funny story actually. In May 2015, a team of divers claimed to have found a large block of silver in a shipwreck off the coast of Madagascar. And they thought it was from Captain Kidd's treasure. Ah. When they analyzed this large chunk of indeterminate metal, it was found to be 95% lead. And That's <laughs> embarrassing. <I know. laughs> and it was determined to be from an underwater port construction right off the coast. That's quite a lot. I down. know. <laughs> um, That's so embarrassing. I know, for that diving team. Could you imagine thinking that you found 110 pounds of silver and it's 95% It's literally lead. what is found in a graphite pencil. Like it's literally so shrapnel. Legend claims that some of his booty is in Barnegat oh, Bay. Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> That's my booty in Barnegat Bay. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that would be on a sign hanging in a white woman's home. Come on now. <laughs> Um, some claim to see his headless ghost, which I had a question about that because he wasn't beheaded. He was hanged. So basically, apparently the first time he was hung, it didn't work fully and they had to do it again. And then I guess his head came off the second time. I know. Oh my God. I guess he was just built different. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. It's giving nearly headless Nick from Harry Yes. That's kind of how I picture him. Yeah. Um, but he's seen walking around with some of the other more famous spirits of the Pine Barrens. Um, our next spirit that we're going to talk about is the Black Dog, and he's believed to be a victim of a pirate attack off of Absecon Island. Why would you ever attack a dog? I don't know, but listen to this. So Absecon Island is off the coast of New Jersey, and it's where Margate, Ventnor, and Atlantic City are are located and sufficient to say that the company in Atlantic City has not improved much. <laughs> the pirates are probably better than how it is Honest now. Honest <laughs> to God. Every time I go there, I fear for my life. Um, I saw a man with a box cutter walking down 
I was trying to walk to Rainforest Cafe with my friends in Atlantic City. Cafe. I know, I know, I know, oh, I know. That would ruin the whole experience. <laughs> Chime in, what's scarier, the man with the box cutter or the time when the Rainforest Cafe animals go like batshit crazy and the lightning starts to strike? <laughs> oh, and the gorilla goes crazy, yes, I know. and he starts pounding his chest. <laughs> Definitely that. Um, anyways, the black dog was thought to have been killed along with his owner, who was the cabin boy. And they were possibly killed by Blackbeard. But there's no accounts, so we don't okay. know if that's true or not. Black dogs, in a lot of mythology, get a bad rep as, like, omen of death or evil spirits. Which I kind of feel is unfair, because I grew up with a black lab, and he was the best ever. Bo! His name was Bo. And I also have a black dog as my godson because I'm white. Um, <laughs> Whose dog? My aunt's. Oh! His name is Finn. He's a black labradoodle, and I am in love with him. I remember when Bo passed away. <laughs> oh, no. MK was so sad. And so her parents bought her like a platter of <laughs> cocktail shrimps to eat and so she just like ate the cocktail shrimps and she was like I'm so sorry <laughs> I don't remember how the rest of the story goes I was just crying while eating the cocktail yeah, shrimp. Yeah she was just like bawling her eyes out while eating the cocktail shrimp and that's just like a story that is has been in our family forever. Obviously my emotions did not get the best of my appetite. <laughs> a little emotional eating session never hurt nobody. Rest in peace Bo. Rip. I also have the backstory of another spirit that appears in the pine barrens and this one's actually kind of a nice spirit oh good and he has a long backstory but it definitely deserves to be told so this dates all the way back to the early 19th century to 1812 when james still was born to two former slaves who were avoiding recapture in the pine barrens he was vaccinated at three years old and thus began a passion for medicine uh, wait, I honestly did not know that vaccines were a thing back in the 1800s. Maybe they use vaccine as, like, a loose term. Okay, yeah, that probably makes sense. Um, they were lining up at CVS <laughs> for their booster shot. He entered into indentured servitude at 18 years old, and he learned about medicine from all the available literature and local Lenape tribe herbal remedies. Okay. He was released from servitude on his 21st birthday, and... He headed to Philadelphia to study medicine with $10 in his pocket and a new suit. Oh, good! I have a feeling this isn't going to be, like, a happy story, but that's very sweet. Yeah, it's not great. Okay. But, um, when he got to Philadelphia, he was prevented from studying medicine due to some racist idiots and financial constraints. So he ended up making the best of things, and he worked in some blue-collar jobs to save up. He married and had a daughter... But both of them died within a year. Oh no. It has it, it gets better. He remarried and had two sons, and they all lived happily. Um, he ended up creating a cough serum, which he sold to two pharmacists, and then with the proceeds from that, he bought a house and began making house calls. He was continually challenged by white doctors, but he continued practicing and in the end became a published author. Wow. Some say that he retreated to the Pine Barrens. To study in peace during his career and little excursion in Philly. Some say that he died of a stroke in his home in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. And some say that, I think this is more for the effect of the ghost story, that he was lynched when some 
white people found out what he was studying. Oh, gosh. Okay. But he's known to be a calming spirit that haunts the Pine Barrens, and he often leads lost travelers to safety. Okay, so, so far, he or the black dog would definitely be the spirits that I would want to run into. There's one more spirit that I wouldn't mind running into, but I'll get to that in a second. Okay. The next is known as the golden-haired girl, and this one is a little wild. She is, like, the typical ghost girl. She's seen staring out to sea from the coastal areas of the Pine Barrens, and she's said to lost her lover at sea. Basic. Yeah. But she's usually spotted alongside... Another famous Pine Barrens creature, the Jersey Devil. There he is. There he goes. And some say the Jersey Devil had a human son. Ooh. The golden-haired girl fell in love with the son, but the family didn't approve and they drove them apart. She committed suicide and he became the next generation of the Jersey Devil from heartbreak. Oh. I mean, I honestly can't really blame the family for not wanting their in-laws to be a literal demon. Devil, yeah. They say that if you see the golden-haired girl, you should get the frick out of there because... Is she like an omen of bad things to come? Well, she's usually keeping some not-so-great company. Oh, yeah, yeah, with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. So the last spirit that I wouldn't mind running into is the white stag. Which, again, is giving Harry Potter. Yes, all these. The this black is, dog, the white Exactly, stag, the grim. Headless Nick, or near, whatever. Nearly <laughs> Headless Nick. Um, so the white stag is supposed to be good luck. He stops impending road accidents, and he also leads lost travelers and hikers oh. to safety. And there's actually record of a white stag saving a stagecoach from traveling over a collapsed bridge in the area. Wow. And now, without further ado... The big kahuna. Himself. The Jersey Devil. And before we get into this, I just want to give a little bit of a background. The Jersey Devil was my number one greatest childhood fear. I used to have nightmares of him peeking in my window because I grew up in a house in (laughs) northern Jersey and I had a big window facing these woods in my backyard and I thought every night that he was going to come out and like perch outside my window and look in on me. That's a terrifying It's thought. horrifying. To the point where I would give myself panic attacks over this. How did you find out about the Jersey Devil as a child? Oh, let me tell you. Oh no. It was a bright Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I had to have been like probably nine or ten. Okay. And I had just gotten into my supernatural phase where I was like, loving all things spooky and so my dad thought it would be a great christmas gift to get me the book version of weird new jersey i see where this is and they going. have a website and a magazine subscription which i've thought of subscribing to in recent years but i haven't yet but i think i might have to and i read that book cover to cover and i developed two of my childhood fears from that book the Jersey Devil, and John List, who we might have to cover his house. Oh, definitely. In a future episode, but he was a notorious family murderer in New Jersey. But anyway, I'm facing my fears, and I'm going to tell you guys all about the Jersey Devil. God gives his hardest battles to his strongest (laughs) strongest soldiers. I'm really, I'm really muscling through this for you guys. (laughs) So, in 1938, he was declared the country's only state demon, 
and his lair is, you guessed it, in the pine. Oh no! I guess I won't be wading in any cranberry bogs anytime soon. I don't want to run into this guy. We'll have to risk it. (laughs) Risk it for the biscuit. (laughs) So. The story goes like this. In 1735, a local Pine Barren resident, Jane or Deborah Leeds, depending on which source you choose to believe. Those are two very different names, but go ahead. Became pregnant with her 13th child. Oh, no. No, thank you. She was... A trooper. A trooper? Not happy about this pregnancy? Yeah, I can see why. Um, so as soon as she found out, she said, let this one be the devil. Why would she say that? Tempting fate. (laughs) Frustration. I guess that was, like, their version of, like, curse words back in the day. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Let this one be the devil. So, her 13th child was born normal on a stormy night, but within minutes began to transform into the creature we now know as the Jersey Devil. Oh. He flew up the (laughs) chimney. What? Are you laughing at my note there? I said he pulled a reverse Santa. (laughs) In some versions, he killed his entire family and then left. In some versions, Mrs. Lead is thought to be a witch that slept with the devil. Some versions have an exorcism being performed in the Pine Barrens. Wow, okay. Lots of theories. Yes. There's not one consistent origin story, but that is the pretty widely accepted one. Okay. So back in the day, this was known as the Leeds Devil, not the Jersey Devil. And that's going to be important when we go into some of the hoax theories. Because the mother Leeds' last name was Leeds. Yes. Okay. Um, so going into its physical appearance again, accounts vary. But the general agreement is that it has the head of a horse, the body of a kangaroo, wings of a bat, cloven hooves. 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 A forked tail, horns, and red eyes. And it often makes its presence known with a single scream. Ooh, I do that too. (laughs) That's how you announce your presence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some say that it can manipulate technology and phones and radios, like car radios, go haywire when it's around. And it has a very long history of encounters Um, It's usually seen around New Jersey areas, Pennsylvania, and New York, mostly in southern New Jersey. One of the first sightings was in 1820 by Joseph Bonaparte, who was actually the older brother of Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm, I feel like this was his cry for attention since his brother was, like, this famous dictator, and then he was like, well, ah! I saw, I saw a Jersey Devil or something. One could also question why he has an estate in New Jersey of all places. Yeah. But, you know. Go off, I guess. I, <laughs> and I wish I could make a joke about the real estate being cheap, but it, it's not. It's not. Well, maybe in 1820 it was. Maybe. Yeah, because the soil was. Nutrient poor <laughs> soil. But lots of cranberry bogs. He was blamed for livestock killings in 1840 and 1841. Joseph Bonaparte was? But this story later evolved to children eating, too. Ooh. Um, Which, you know, spice it up a little bit, I guess. Livestock, like pigs and goats, were found with the backs of their heads missing. Skull and everything. But 
chickens were found whole with no external damage, so people thought they may have died of fright. Oh, so the Jersey Devil didn't eat the chickens? I guess he was the opposite of a pederitarian. Some have claimed to have killed it, but they can't produce a corpse, and then other people have claimed to have shot it. One guy claimed to have shot it with a cannonball, but it just continued flying. I don't believe any of these people, but go I don't ahead. either. Um, then we're going to get into some of the later sightings. So there was a week in 1909 called the Week of Terror, and it was from January 16th to the 23rd, and there were 30 different towns, starting in Woodbury, New Jersey, that claimed to have people who have spotted the Jersey Devil. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, first off, it started by attacking a trolley car, and I put attacking in quotation marks because none of the people actually had physical injuries. Okay. It was just, they all had claimed to have been attacked by the Jersey Devil. It attacked the trolley car itself, but no one inside. Yes. And a social club in Camden, New Jersey, but it flew off before any of the men inside could attack. Um, Footprints were found in the snow, and later a local admitted to forging these footprints. Shocker. But but fear created in this week alone caused schools to close and workers to stay home. Wow. And one of the most notable sightings during this week was Mrs. White in South Philly, who went out to hang laundry, as one does, saw it in her backyard, it let out one screech, she fainted, and her husband came out and chased it off. According to her and her husband, the creature breathed fire, which mm. is one of the only accounts of that. This is getting a little out of hand, I think. As a result of this week, a band of vigilante hunters was formed, and they went into the Pine Barrens in search of the devil. Several zoos offered rewards. The Philly Zoo offered up to $10,000, which is near $325,000 today. Wow. I know. They brought out a canine bloodhound unit, but the dogs were scared and they wouldn't track the footprint. <laughs> or the dogs just couldn't track it because, like, there was no Jersey Devil. Just to play devil's ad- Jersey Devil's Advocate. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> so these accusations may not have held much weight, but the claims came from well-liked and trusted community members like policemen, officials, businessmen, people that were known to tell the truth. Bounties were out for the Jersey Devil as late as the 1960s, <laughs> which is crazy. That's what I was talking about earlier with the 1965. Okay, yeah. Started to make more sense. So, in the 1960s, a circus run by George Alabaster was up and around the South Jersey parts he offered $100,000 for the Jersey Devil alive. So a group of 13-year-old boys, Peter Honovich and twins Miles and Jordan Banks, ventured into the Pine Barrens in search of the devil. They set out and lured the beast with a dummy, Mrs. Leeds, and a cassette tape of lullabies. Oh, that's so mean. Well, their theory here was that the devil wanted some love. Because it Aww. never had a mother's love. And it worked a little too well. Uh-oh. They were attacked, but they distracted the devil by throwing the cassette tape into the woods oh. and ran off after that. There's still a decent amount of modern day sightings on the parkway and the expressway, which if you've ever driven on the parkway, I can see why there have been decent sightings because 
it's there's a lot of woods. I think I would I would cause a ten car pile up if I saw the Jersey <laughs> Devil. That's an understatement. <laughs> now we're gonna get into some of the possible scientific explanations behind the so-called Jersey Devil. A lot of biologists say that it could possibly be just a large bird. One of the birds in question is a sandhill crane because it has such a massive wingspan. Okay. It's also known to hop with its feet together, which could be the reason for the such weird tracks in the snow. Oh. It's very rare to see this bird, so especially if people who aren't the outdoorsy type are encountering this bird, it's not surprising that they would mistake it for something supernatural. Okay. The only thing is that a lot of Jersey Devil sightings occur in the winter for whatever reason, and Sandhill Cranes tend to go south for the winter. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm feeling this one. So, if you're not convinced by that, yeah. another bird that people think it could be is a great horned owl, and they are known to be super territorial, so they will attack anyone and anything if they get near their nest. And here's the kicker for me, is that, remember when I said that livestock were found with, like, the back of their head missing? But now, yeah. Great horned owls tend to grab their prey by the back of the head. Really? Yeah, but, I, I mean, I guess I was picturing, like, a chunk taken out of the back of the animal's head. It may have been an exaggeration. Okay, okay. Yeah, I guess this was, like, the early 1900s, yeah. so. Whatever sells the papers, I guess. Fear can also warp perception, So if you're scared to death of this devil already and there's been several other sightings and you have a huge bird flying overhead, you hear the flapping of those wings. And you hear it screeching, yeah. Yeah. I'm not pretending that I wouldn't say I had an encounter with the Jersey Devil. There was a mother and son couple, um, the Winkelmans, who claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil in their backyard while they were out taking out the trash. They ran inside and the next morning... The father found prints in the snow on the roof. Oh. These two, um, the mother and the son who claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil, were subjected to polygraph tests and they both passed. Hmm. Okay. So they're not lying about seeing something weird. Even the polygraph tests. Yeah, are not super. They're not even admissible. Their accuracy is questionable. Okay. Yeah, they're not admissible. But based off of this witness, this firsthand account, some special effect designer was able to model what they thought the Jersey Devil looked like. And if you look up this model, it looks to me like it could have been a great horned owl. Another thought that some scientists or psychologists actually have behind the Jersey Devil is it could just be something known as the boogeyman fever and like a tall tale used to terrify children. Okay. Mass hysteria. Also, it's thought that it could be a mass hallucination from moldy bread, which is crazy. No way. I was kind of on board with this theory because I was like, that would explain why a whole trolley car full of passengers claimed yeah. to have seen it. But well, that were they all eating the same moldy that's bread? That's exactly. That's, <laughs> that means that people in over 30 towns had to have been buying moldy bread from the same bakery. But when the moldy bread was tested... The same chemical that's in LSD was found. In the bread? Mm Mm-hmm. But there's also no reports of food poisoning. Okay. Huh. Okay. Um, like you alluded to earlier, the Pine Barrens have also always been a violent area and filled with, like, 
quote-unquote undesirable members of society. Mm -hmm. So the Jersey Devil could have been used as a cautionary tale to keep children out of the forest. Okay. It's also important to note, though, that the turn of the century was also the advent of the tabloid, and one of the most popular types of stories to run in the tabloids were published monster stories. Okay. And back in, like, the 1900s, everything that was published in the news was regarded as fact. I see. Okay. So, there's a very good chance that they were just trying to sell papers. Exactly. Um, Also, one of the things that people describe the Jersey Devil as looking like is the Jabberwocky, which is from a poem by Lewis Carroll, which was released in 1871. So, again, this is kind of like plant the seed and watch it grow. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, some people admitted to faking the Jersey Devil attacks. There was a man named Norman Jeffries and Jacob Hope, and they had a circus. They bought a kangaroo from another circus, glued wings and claws onto it, (laughs) and then later admitted that it was not, in fact, the Jersey Devil, which goes to show you how gullible people were back then, because they would pull back the curtain for literally maybe two seconds and say, hey, look, here's the Jersey Devil, and they close that the is and say, nope, you saw it, you're good. Yeah, with, like, duct-taped wings on the back. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then we already said how someone admitted to faking the hoof prints in the snow. Yeah. Which is also another possible reason that the bloodhounds may have not followed it. Because if yeah, there's it no was... scent, if it's, like, some They're not just going to follow yeah. random indentations. Yeah. Exactly. This isn't scientific, but it is a possible historic explanation. So there is evidence that the Leeds family actually did exist. Okay. Daniel Leed, whose wife was Deborah Leed, published the Leeds Almanac in 1687. He was extremely interested in sciences and astrology, but it contradicted the Quakers, who were the dominant religion in the area at the time. <gasps> Religious drama. Yep. They burned it. And called it pagan literature. Ooh. They also referred to Daniel Lead as Satan's servant. The ultimate insult. Yeah, I know. Ben Franklin, you know him, you love him. He's a little sus to me. Yeah, honestly. Well, you know that he used to, like, attend orgies and stuff? Mm, that, I didn't know that orgies existed back then. They did. Ew. He would. Yeah, right. I Ben Franklin actually I don't know. With his little I don't kite. love him. Um he decided that he wanted to publish an almanac. Okay. And he published something called the Poor Richard's Almanac. And he attacked Leed saying that he was like against the Quakers and Leed felt the need to attack back. So Ben Franklin publishes in his almanac and prophesizes that Leed is gonna die in September of this year. September passes, and Lean is still alive. Okay. So he's like, hey, I'm alive. Your almanac is wrong. And oh. Ben Franklin is just kind of like, oh, well. Yeah, was that like a death threat, Ben? What the hell? It's It was supposed to sell more books, but it just kind of, like, confused readers. Because readers were like, okay, like, who well, is, is Lee dead or not? Or, yeah, who's... and who do I believe? But... 1735 was the height of this feud, and that was also the year of the death of the birth of the Leeds Devil. Oh. So people think that this could have been fabricated by Ben Franklin 
to raise his own almanac sales and plummet the sales of the Leeds almanac. That's an interesting marketing tactic. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> he invented electricity and the Jersey Devil. <laughs> quite the, quite quite the, the resume. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Jersey Devil isn't all scary stuff. It has had some cultural significance in New Jersey and all around the country. First off, it's just fun to talk about fun ghost stories, oral traditions, Makes for a great article in Weird New Jersey. <laughs> There's several movies based around him. Uh, the Barons and 13th Child. Several TV shows feature him, like X-Files and Gravity Falls on Disney XD, which Sam and I were actually literally just watching earlier. <laughs> Such a good show. It is a good show. The New Jersey hockey team, Jersey Devils. Ah! Named after him. And when I tell you, if you walk into a novelty shop, Anywhere in New Jersey, you can find something that's okay. Jersey Devil themed. Like, I remember walking into a candy store at the height of my fear and oh, being man. freaked out because there was a candy bar that had like jalapenos in it that called the, Jersey, the Devil. Jersey Devil. Okay, so it's almost like the little mascot of New Jersey. Exactly. He's the state demon. <laughs> so um, he's also featured on the New Jersey Gov website. Is he running for governor? He might be. People might like him better than Phil Murphy right now. (laughs) There's a roller coaster at Six Flags named after him. The Jersey Devil also makes a little cameo in one of Sam and I's favorite games as a child, Pop Tropica's Cryptid Island. Pop Tropica was such a huge part of both of our childhoods. Like, we were obsessed with it. And it seems like no one else, like, really knows that much about it or really was that impacted by it. But we played Pop Tropica all the time literally every time we saw each other so if you played please let us know because that's an instant bonding yes what was your character's name my character so okay it was like randomized so you kind of had to like just randomize it until like you came up with one that you like and i guess i settled on the name curious popper okay and (laughs) i remember that actually mine was young leopard i dressed her to look like katniss everdeen from the hunger games because i was that bitch yeah but didn't the hunger games come out when you were like a senior in high school no (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um so if people like pop tropica as much as we did we did find a way to play all the old islands like an illegal yeah like a legal download so if you want that link let us know (laughs) anyway fbi the pop tropica fbi is gonna show (laughs) up on our doorstep (laughs) um to wrap this up no one has ever been able to prove the existence but there are several drawings of its likeness and some quote-unquote photos that we'll throw on the Insta along with some other pics of like the Pine Barrens from this episode. Um, Sam, do you believe in the Jersey Devil? I, as of right now, no, I do not believe in the Jersey Devil. I don't think that it was, it's an accidental like great horned owl or anything. I don't know. I think I think that everyone who has quote unquote seen it has like ulterior motives for seeing it. I kind it. of agree with you. Um, but honestly, the Jersey Devil, like, I understand, like, why it scared you, but he's kind of cute. Like, he's not very human-looking, so, like, and there's something about the fact that he, like, just looks like an animal. He almost looks like a greyhound with wings. And so some I think... Of the por- some yeah, of the pictures of him do. When he when the pictures of him don't look like a human, I think he's kind of cute. I agree with that. But that being said, I also could be convinced if I had more proof that maybe he's real. I... 
wish I could say I was fully confident that he did not exist. I don't know if he does. I, again, like, there's still something that freaks me out about him. Yeah. But then again, like, if I were camping in the Pine Barrens, I'd be more scared to come across, like, a bear. Really? Yeah, because I think oh, that's I more likely, not, right? I think I think that's more like or like a puma, not a puma. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I mean I just but I came across so many stories in my research of people that were camping in the Pine Barrens oh, and God. then suddenly had their tent slashed open or ha- heard a scream outside their tent yeah. and ended up running in fear. Yeah, trust me, once. I'm not gonna go out looking for him. I'm not gonna go camping in the Pine Barrens anytime soon. But I don't know. Right now, I'm just sort of leaning towards not real. Interesting. But this place is still definitely haunted, like, for sure. It's somewhere that I don't need to go. I don't need to go camping in there. I know we talked about going to the Farnsworth house, which, if you remember from last episode, Sam said, if we get two listens, and we did, in fact, (laughs) get two listens. listens. (laughs) So we're going to have to plan a trip there. I don't think we're going to be making the same offer for the Pine (laughs) At least personally. If this gets three listens... I will hunt down the Jersey Devil myself. And... No, you won't. <laughs> no, I definitely Simply won't. not gonna let you. <laughs> yeah, kind of freaky stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, that about wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We are gonna be posting on the Insta right at the same time as this podcast drops. So hopefully, by the time you get to the end of this episode, it's already up. Have you? seen the jersey devil or do you know someone that saw the jersey devil or has a story about it please let us know so that i can put my childhood fears to rest or it's gonna like reignite your childhood or reignite them (laughs) honestly i just want to know the truth so either drop a comment on our instagram send us a dm uh like sam said in the beginning shoot us an email it's east.coast.haunts at gmail.com and visit our website it's linked in our instagram bio follow our twitter at ec underscore haunts um and like sam said in the beginning of this podcast we are now on eight different streaming platforms and we will be updating at the beginning of each podcast with any new ones that we're adding but thank you for listening again and see you next week bye